I mean, Tini's talked about it. We're just going to dive right in um, a little bit this morning. But with everything that's going on in the world with this last week in Vegas, um, and just seeing, like, it just seems like the world, you know, is kind of closing in a little bit. And I know many of us probably know someone or know of someone. I know one of Tini's best friends had a close friend who was one of the ones who was killed in Vegas. Um, And if it doesn't disturb you a little bit, like, we should be asking why, right? Everyone should be a little shooken up, should be mourning with those who mourn, weeping with those who weep. And so this morning coming before you, man, I feel the weight of it. Like, I feel the humbleness, the weight of the gospel and what it means in this time, in this day. And uh, there's so many things we could talk about, right? So many things that are complex, complex issues, right? And I'm all about talking about those things. I don't shy away from those things. But there's one thing I feel like the Lord just keeps bringing me back to. In light of where we're at, in light of the pain we're seeing, in light of the darkness, there's one thing I feel like he keeps bringing me back to that I truly feel like is where he's asking our church to be and how he's asking our church to respond in light of all that we're seeing, in light of the enemy really closing in. Um, I remember after having Luca, I, uh, which all of you moms, dads, whoever know this, um, but I remember when he was so tiny, right, when they're so fragile, you feel like they could just like break. And I remember when we started putting him in his crib in his own room, and then we would leave him and walk to a room where the two adults hung out. And I'm like, why are we leaving the baby who can't fend for himself in the crib while I go in this other room with another adult? It seems so wrong. And I had a really, really hard time. I struggled with the fact of, like, I can't enjoy this time of rest, right? When the baby's sleeping is when the mom's supposed to be resting, But I just could never rest because I was so anxious and so worried the entire time. Like, what if something happens and I am not there? What if? What if he stops breathing like all of these Facebook articles I'm reading? What if he rolls over and I don't know it? What if the blanket gets over his face? What if this crazy, what if the ceiling falls in and I'm not there to stop it, right? And I had to get to a point with the Lord where it really was not what if, but God, even if. And I think a lot of us, we like to just say, oh, I'm not going to say what if because that makes me distressed, right? But we don't allow ourselves to go there and say, well, even if, even if, even if that happens. Um, And I read this verse in Daniel during the season. It says this. This is when, like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were getting ready to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Okay, that is a big, terrifying deal. It was inevitable. It was getting ready to happen. And this is what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not... We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Throw us in the fire. Our God will save us. But even if we burn up, even if we feel excruciating pain, even if we will not worship your gods because our God is still God. Man, even if, and after reading this, 
I'm just going to read you. This was my heart. I wrote this in a blog post, and this is what it says. Um, when my son was still so tiny, each night when I would lay him in bed and walk away, I would feel a twinge of fear of what if. What if he needs me and I'm asleep? What if he stops breathing? What if he is scared and I'm in the other room? Walking away from my son, whom I had just left laying in the crib, was my moment to finally breathe and relax, but also the moment where I no longer felt in control. I fought to enjoy this time because I let worry rule. I knew I would fall asleep because we know I needed my sleep, and I would not be aware if something happened. I knew I had to simply trust God and allow myself to fall asleep. So I began to say each night as I placed him in the crib, God, I trust you. Thank you for trusting me. And it felt funny at first that I was having to proclaim that, yes, in fact, I do trust the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sufficient God when he entrusted me to care for this tiny life. That, yes, little me trusts you, the God of the universe, but I did have to say it out loud. I did have to remind myself that he is trustworthy, that he is good, he is in control, because he is. But sadly, the world had had its way with me. The world, with all of its pain and loss and confusion, began to overtake my mind and heart at times, doesn't it for us all? We began to see through a lens of what if. What if everything goes wrong? What if my life ends badly? What if it all is lost? But what if we lived first with the lens of even if? Even if he is still trustworthy. Even if he is still God. Even if he is still faithful, even if he is still good, even if. Many times I'm guilty of trusting the character of this world above the character of God. Because you see, even if the world changes, he does not. Even if there is loss, he is present. Even if there is unimaginable pain, he is still good. Even if he is still God, and while loss and pain cannot be avoided and the sharpness of which these things are felt should not be taken lightly, I want to live out of an even if spirit and not from a what if because I am a child of God who can be trusted, a God who gives hope and purpose, a God who is fiercely committed to us and who is not going anywhere, a God who brings hope and life to loss and pain, a God who causes us to be able to live on the offensive and not the defensive, a God that makes it possible, possible for us to not be a people of fear, but a people who pick up the sword and go into the dark. And even when we are afraid, we go anyway, not because of what if, but because even if. Look, we don't have to fear the future. We can come boldly forward, even while trembling. We can embrace the truth that we are not in control instead of pretending we are. That in all moments, not just when I lay my son in the crib, we're not in control. Not in control of our health, not in control of our safety, not in control of our future, but he is. We can rest, we can breathe, we can laugh, we can embrace the moment, we don't have to worry. We can live not in control, but fully confident in our security. Because even if, he still is. Even if. So here we are. Like, here we are. I mean, I don't even know how to name all the disasters that have taken place in this past month. For many of us, many of our friends or family members, the even if has turned into an even win. Even win. Even in the midst of this loss. Even in the fact that I lost a family member in Vegas. Even in the fact that I am in excruciating pain. Whatever it is for you, even in 
God is still good. But here we are standing in the even in, right? And it's easier said than done. There's many people right now in the midst of even in, in the life-altering reality of violence, right? Where the enemy has closed in. Many who have faced the enemy staring right at them. And I, I fear that many of us think he's winning. Because it looks like it. It looks from our human perspective at times like, is the enemy winning? So today we're going to look at a passage in 2 Chronicles 20. And this is when the, basically the Moabites had formed an alliance against Jehoshaphat, who was the Lord's man. And they had formed this alliance. They're coming against him. Look, the odds were in their favor. The enemy's favor. Everything was against them. And this is what it says. Starting in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, you guys are just going to have to be patient with me because I'm reading a lot of weird names today. So, you know. After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Mayunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea, and they are already at Hazazon Tamar. So basically, they are coming, and they are almost here. And Jehoshaphat, who was terrified by the news, begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. And Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord, and he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. Man, the enemy was closing in. It even says Jehoshaphat was terrified. Terrified. His life was at risk. His kingdom was at risk. His family, his children were at risk. But what does he do? He gets on his knees before the Lord. In the midst of chaos, we do not have to be chaotic. When the enemy was against them, when it looked like an impossible task, when death was knocking at their door, they did not panic and just run into the chaos, right? He didn't just gather people and say, we got to go now. They're close. Get your swords. He didn't. But you know what else he didn't do? He didn't pack up and run away either. He got on his knees before the Lord. Look, the last thing people need to see the church doing right now is running chaotically into chaos or running away from the chaos in order to preserve our safety. Because there is an enemy who seeks to divide, to bring chaos, confusion, and angst. Look, an enemy is real, but look, who is our enemy? It's already been touched on this morning, but Ephesians 6.12 says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rules and rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Look, our enemy is mighty powers in this dark world. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. But I love it because what does Jehoshaphat declare? When the enemy is closing in, the physical enemy is closing in. Humans are closing in. 
What does Jehoshaphat start declaring? He starts declaring, God, you are the king and ruler of this world. So Jehoshaphat knew what he was up against. Look, humans are marching towards us to kill us. But did he say, God, you can smack down these humans, or I, God, I, these people, or get so focused on temporary. He said, no, no, no. God, you are the ruler of this earth. God, you're the ruler even over the enemies of darkness in this world. God, you rule. We have to know our enemy. We have to, if we're going to fight appropriately. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Look, we don't need to run away from the battle in order to preserve ourselves. We don't. Preserve our life or our way of thinking or our safety. Running away so, like, that doesn't affect us. Look, our God, I don't know about you, but from what I know, our God ran to me in my time of need. We serve a God who didn't preserve himself, but died for sinners. He didn't die for you in your nice, clean state right now. He died for sinners. He ran into the battle. But look, watching all the news on Vegas this week, man, where did the light shine the brightest in the midst of extreme, extreme darkness? Just think, I mean, where do you see that the light shine the brightest? The people who ran back in, right? The people who said, I'm safe right now, but I'm going to put my life in danger to save another. And as I'm watching this, man, I'm thinking, man, that is what the church should be if we are truly being the church of Christ. Because that's what Christ did when we were endangered, when we were going to hell, when we were sinners. Christ came back into this world and he died for you. We cannot be a church who says we worship this God, but when it comes, when, you know, rubber meets the road, we're actually going to run and leave you over there so you do not affect us. That's where the light shines. Those who ran back in, who gave up their safety for another. And look, but when you look at all these stories and you read these stories and hear these stories, who ran back in? Majority of the time, those who were trained, those who were ready before the tragedy happened, they were ready and they were trained. They knew how to stop the bleeding. They knew how to plug the bullet holes. They knew how to bandage. They knew how to get people out of a chaotic situation into a calm situation. They knew how to remain calm. Look, I heard so many stories of people saying, I was terrified, but he stayed calm for me. They had been trained, prepared. Look, if we are going to run into battle, we need to be trained for battle. And I, I hope this doesn't sound harsh. I hope you hear my heart this morning. But what is happening here is we're seeing a lot of Christians running into battle completely untrained. Completely untrained of what scripture actually says. Completely untrained of who God actually is, what his heart actually is for people. Look, do we have the belt of truth and the shield of peace? 
that brings good news? Do we have the breastplate of righteousness or our lives anything but righteous while we scream at others to be righteous? Do we have the sword? What does it say the sword is in scripture? The word. The sword is pretty important, I would think, if you're going into battle against an enemy. But what is the sword? The word of God. But do we know the word of God? Like, really, know it. Do we know the word of God? We must know God's heart, his strategy, his word, so that we can be effective in battle. Look, I know as the church we love to brag about how crazy the disciples were, right? We love that narrative. Like, the disciples were just a bunch of nobodies who God loved. They weren't trained or educated people, which is true, and I love that story, too. I love that God uses ordinary people. That's true. But we love to brag about that. But what I feel like we miss sometimes is I would argue the disciples were the most educated people of Christ. Because they lived with him, they breathed with him, they knew how he handled people, how he spoke to people, they knew his heart about people, they knew Christ. So while we talk about the disciples, God uses anybody and everybody, this is true, he does. He works with anybody who's willing. Me included. But let me tell you, the disciples that he sent out were very educated on him. And we as a church, as Christians, little Christs, have a responsibility to know God's word, to know him, what he thinks about people, what his heart really is when we go running into battle. We have a responsibility we must be disciples of God if we're going to represent him. We must stop preaching unconditional love while having conditions for others. We must stop misquoting scripture simply because it's what our grandparents taught us and we live in the Bible Belt. Look, I grew up in the Bible Belt, so I get it. But look, we went to a Christian pumpkin patch last year and half the verses on the stuff were wrong. And the references were wrong. If you go to that scripture, you're going to see something crazy in Leviticus. That's not where that's found. <laughs> but we believe it. Oh, it's a Christian pumpkin patch, so let me just let them give me the word of God. No! Do you know the word of God? When you stand, and I'm saying this because I care about you. When you stand before the enemy, he's not fooled because your parents knew the word. He's not fooled because you went to a Christian pumpkin patch in the Bible Belt. When you stand up against the enemy, when the enemy is closing in, you have to know the word of God. You have to have a sword. We must know scripture and be disciples, preaching unity while we daily fan the flame of division through gossip and creating sides. We as a church do this so often. <laughs> we love to gossip, but then we love to come to church and talk about unity. Man, we are using the enemy's strategies, church, to fight against him. It's almost like we are like 
taking, going to court in basketball against the opposing team, and we are looking at their playbook and playing their drills. <laughs> and we keep wondering, like, why do they keep cutting me off? Why do they know I'm going left? Why do they know I was going to do this? But we're using the enemy's strategy many times to fight the enemy's battle. We have to go up against the enemy with the armor of God. Our strategy must be God's strategy. But it takes time spending time with him in his word to understand his strategy. And here we are, man. The enemy's closing in today. In our world, the evil, the evil is knocking at the door. Those who have been training and those who haven't really are coming to the surface. Look, you can be on Facebook five minutes and be like, well, that person doesn't know that's not found there, and that's not really what it means, right? We all have been there, and we've all done it. <laughs> we've all posted things or done things. Like, I'm guilty too. But look, the enemy's closing in, and we're either going to be trained and ready or we're not. And we can't keep hiding behind other people's faith or Oklahoma's faith or where we live or who our parents are because the enemy's closing in. But what I love about God is that it is never too late. It is never too late to say, God, I want to know your strategy. God, I want to know your word. God, I want to know your heart for my enemy. God, I want to know and learn and grow and be educated in you. It is never too late. But we've got to spend time with him. It's never too late. We don't need to run into the chaos to defend ourselves. Even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before being thrown in the fire, before the verse I read, the verse right before it says, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. Man, I love that. Like, if you know the story, like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like appointed officials under King Nebuchadnezzar. They had served him. They had responsibility and authority within the kingdom. And now here we are, the king's betraying them. <laughs> Getting ready to throw them in a furnace. If anybody had been victimized or treated unfairly, it was them. They spent their life serving this king. But what do they say? Oh, we don't need to defend ourselves. Throw us in. We don't need to defend ourselves. Church, we don't need to defend ourselves. God can defend himself. We don't have to defend our morals or our political views or our agendas or our opinions. We don't need to. We don't need to defend ourselves. I just want to look at people sometimes and be like, oh man, I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to. But even if, man, we don't need to defend ourselves, run in with guns a-blazing, even when, even in, we also don't need to run away and preserve ourselves because, man, I don't want to die tonight. <laughs> right? That's real. None of us wants excruciating pain in a fiery furnace. Nobody wants that. But we don't have to run away either because even if, even when, even in, we do not have to play to chaos. We don't. We bring our battle to the king of heaven's armies. And we gain strategy for the battle. And then I love it. After fasting and praying, 
hearing from the Lord, how did Jehoshaphat respond? This is what I want to know, right? The enemy's closing in. He fasted and prayed and heard from the Lord. Okay, so what was God's strategy? So here we pick up in verse 13. It says this. All of the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon the one of the men standing there. And his name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Matinah. I don't even know. A Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. And he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Look, some of us need to hand the stuff and the weapons back over to God. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. Then you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Koath and Korah stood to praise, oh, yeah, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped them and said, listen to me, all of you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. First, the battle is not ours. The battle is God's. He said, you just go in praising. Take your place. Stand firm. And let God reveal his glory. Man, what did the Lord's strategy look like? Praise. Praise. Who was in the front line? The greatest fighters? The ones who could really, you know, like hit them where it hurts? The one who have those Facebook articles that, you know, really sting? The ones who were like the most equipped or wisest? The ones who at the front lines knew who their God was because they were able to praise. In the midst of the front line, they praised God. Man, to me, that communicates these people knew God. Because I don't know about you, but you have to know who your God is if you're going to go up against a real enemy in a real battle with real weapons and go and sing in. The ones who praised were on the front lines. The ones who put the focus back on God. In the midst of the front lines, they still worshiped. Even in, even in the front lines, the most dangerous of places, they went forth with praise. Not defensive, 
not angry, with praise. Today in the midst of even if, even when, even in, man, can we get our eyes on God and praise. Let praise proceed us. Praise go before us. Not fear. That's hard. Not fear, not hatred, not anger, not opinions, not weapons, not even justice. Praise precedes us. What if the church went out with praise on their lips? Praise in the midst of the storm. Praise in the midst of chaos. Praise precedes us. But look, I love this also because praise, they were praising, but what else were they doing? Risking their lives. <laughs> so it's not like, what if the church sat in their corner and just praised God? No, what if the church ran back in for those who were dying and in the midst of losing their own lives, they didn't yell out in anger? We didn't explain why we're the victim. We just praised God. Look, we see this all throughout scripture. Disciples, followers of God who are martyred. How did they go out while being martyred? They went out praising God. Man, even if we are thrown into a fiery furnace, look, not naive to complications, to pain or to hate, not ignoring or minimizing our neighbor's stories. Look, the church should be the first to listen. Scripture even says, be slow to, quick to listen and slow to speak. <laughs> we got to listen to other people's stories. But I'm talking about as a church, not being naive and just praising God out of naivety or however you say that word. But I'm talking about praising God even while we are in the midst of it with people. About really going to the deepest, darkest places with people where we don't really want to go. <laughs> But going there, risking our own safety, our own opinions, being willing to die, but still praising God. Even if God doesn't save us, will we still praise him? It goes on in uh, verse 22, and it says this, At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see, and not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Not a single one. And King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other vulnerable valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. The Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lairs, and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. 
When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. I love this. Peace and rest came to Jehoshaphat's people and the fear of God, even to the surrounding kingdoms. The fear of God came over them. Why? Because people screamed truth. No, because people went in to battle with guns ablazing, ready to kill the other person. No, because they praised God and God showed up. The fear of God went out through the kingdoms because God, because of God. Peace and rest was Jehoshaphat's because he praised God and was willing to go on the front lines praising. We must be aware of the strategy of God. Jehoshaphat went before the Lord, gleaned his strategy, and then he led not with human strategy, right? He fasted, he prayed, he got the Lord's strategy for how to fight the enemy. And a lot of times, the Lord's strategy and our strategy looks very different. I mean, this would probably not be my strategy if I wrote it up. But can we go in praising God? Because what did it do? It confused the enemy. It confused them. Because praise, who would praise, right? Who would praise coming into battle? Who would praise in this situation? Who would praise? It's three against one. Do they know that? Who would come in praising? They should have come in hot, angered, confused, feeling like the victim. They should have came in ready to fight. But that's exactly what the enemy expected, them to come in ready to fight. So they fought themselves. Sometimes I think as we as a church could run in, offer our lives for other people, and praise doing it, and then just stand still, everything else would take care of itself, but we want to get in on the fight, and we want to give people a lot of targets to shoot at. <laughs> we don't have to go in angered. Even if you're the victim in the midst of your even if, you don't have to go in angered. Even if it's three against one, even if your death looks inevitable, we can still praise. Because even if God is still God, man, and I can just picture this. These people, these armies ready to fight. Man, ready, like adrenaline pumping, ready, angered, ready to kill. Man, this was violent, right? Ready to kill other people. And this army came in praising God. And they were so filled with violence and anger that they had nowhere to put it but on themselves. <laughs> they killed each other. Every one of them died. So somehow someone killed themselves and someone else, right? 
There was no last man standing. We as a church need to get this. We can go in and not give a million target, give them target practice, right? We can go in and confuse them. That even while I risk my life, man, God, you are still good. Let them say what they want. Let them fire back whatever they want. Let their anger go wherever it wants to go. But God, we praise you because you are the ruler of earth. And you are still in control. We fight not against flesh and blood. So may our praise confuse our enemy today. Man, our enemy is not each other. We know that. We should all know that. But our enemy, who is real, man, we, may we confuse him. Because even if we still praise God, even when tragedy happens, we still praise God. These people weren't defending themselves even when it was justified, even when they should have showed up with swords drawn. Um, can I, I just want to ask the worship team to come back up as we close, or the couple of you that are going to come up. Will we be fearful at times? Yes. Were those people on the front lines fearful? I would think so. <laughs> I would think they were pretty afraid. Jehoshaphat was terrified, it says. Terrified. Will we be victims at times, treated unfairly? Yes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego served the king. And then they were thrown into the fire after they served him faithfully. So yes, will we be victimized? Yes. Will we be scared? Yes. Will we feel vulnerable? Yes. But can we praise? When victory looks bleak, man, when tragedy is all around us, can we still praise God when it's three on one? Can we just praise God? Look, if the battle before you looks hopeless or you're discouraged, you feel wronged, maybe rightly so. May we praise. Because even when the battle is very, very, very real, can we still praise God? Even in the midst of chaos, confusion, hatred, slander, even when we're taking the hit, man, how is God's strategy when we treat our enemies? What does it say? Turn the other cheek. Get hit again. We don't like that. We don't like that as the church, especially. We want to be like, hey, you know what you did is wrong, and let me give you 10 scriptures why that's wrong. <laughs> Instead of just letting ourselves be hit again. Okay, you made fun of me? Okay. Man, I praise God. You don't have to say that to him. You don't have to be like the I'm blessed person all the time. But we praise God. Okay, there's people in danger. I'll run back in and get them. Because even if, even in, Man, God is still good, and God is still God. We will not fight back with the enemy's tactics, right? Fight our enemy the way the enemy says to fight back. We will turn the other cheek. 
we'll stand our ground. Look, I'm not talking about being like passive or not speaking up. Sometimes I think the most powerful thing you do can do is not speak up, but there's also times that we should speak up. But I think it looks very differently when it's done out of the Lord's playbook, when it's done out of his heart for those people, his heart for this world, his heart for the men who cause violence, his heart for his people. Man, we're not going to use the enemy's tactics. And to be honest, church, I'm done. I'm done. And I'm just going to be really real with you. And I really hope this doesn't offend you because it's just not my heart. But it's been really hard for me to move back from L.A. And I, look, I love living here. I know I talk about the struggle a lot. And I just want to encourage you that that's just me processing. Like, I love it here. I love you guys. It's been hard. One of the hard things that's been hard is moving from L.A. back to the Bible Belt. Because there's a lot of false scripture. <laughs> a lot. A lot. It's overwhelming. It's almost harder to be here in a place where there's a lot of false gospel than it is to be in a place where there's not a lot of gospel. But I just feel so strongly that we are in a powerful place this morning, that the Bible Belt especially is being looked at. We're being looked at. My LA friends are looking at the Bible Belt because we're the Bible Belt, right? And I feel the weight of that. Because what are we going to respond with? Our defense mechanisms? Are we going to try to preserve ourselves and say, no, 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 we don't want you guys coming here? Or are we going to say, you know what, I'll lay my life down? You can make fun of us. You can say what you want. But oh, we don't have to defend ourselves. We're just going to praise God and let God be God. And would we be a people who put on the armor of God? The shoes of peace. And it says in scriptures, the shoes of peace are brought on by the good news. So if the good news you are sharing this morning isn't bringing peace into other people's lives, you might want to evaluate the good news you are bringing. Because I don't know about you, but the good news brings peace to my unrested soul. The good news brings peace to anyone. It is good news. So as the church, we have the responsibility to figure out what shoes we have on. And it's never too late to put on a new pair of shoes. To put the good news on that brings peace. The breastplate of righteousness that shields us. Be righteous people, honorable people, kind people. The belt of truth. The truth of even when this world is hard and evil. The truth that God is still God. Can we put these things on, the sword? Can we pick it up and know the word of God? Because look, the word of God is powerful. The Bible belt is not. The posters misprinted on the pumpkin patch. I mean, they were good. They were encouraging. But you know what's powerful? What cuts like a sword? The actual gospel word of God.
and we have the responsibility, I have the responsibility to know it. And I'm telling you, me personally, I've never felt as much weight to know the word as I feel today. When tragedy happens, when argument and disagreement starts, you know what I always think, man, I better know the word of God. Because one, people aren't buying it. <laughs> Look, millennials do not buy it if you don't actually know what you're talking about. That's the truth. Secondly, which I'm more concerned about, the enemy doesn't buy it. <laughs> the enemy doesn't buy it. If when our church is struggling financially, which we could use some funds, but let me tell you this, the enemy doesn't buy it if me and TD stand up here and tell you to tithe every Sunday and we ourselves aren't tithing. How much weight do you think that carries in the spiritual realm? Right? When you walk in a room, does the enemy know your name? Or does he know your parents' or grandparents' name? Does he know my name? And do I have the weapons to fight back? Do I have the armor of God, the good news, peace and righteousness and truth? And can I let God be God? We're going to do something this morning that, um, if I could just have our staff come back up. I don't know if Sarah has like a, yeah. Oh, she's there. Okay. <laughs> he was running out for a second. Um, we're going to do something this morning because I'm just going to be pretty frank with you. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of the enemy gaining ground. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of feeling weak against the enemy. I'm tired of feeling like he is picking us off one by one. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing us not fight back in a responsible and godly way. And I'm not talking about anyone here. I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to anyone else. I'm tired of it. And so when I was preparing this message, I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to get all of your staff, your children, and everyone up here. And you need to declare a new day that you're no longer going to play from the enemy's playbooks. No more. We aren't. We're going to play from God's playbook, God's strategy. And I believe this morning that we are going to start confusing the enemy because we will praise God. <laughs> Luca wants down. This should go over well. Anyway, so we're just going to conclude this morning with praise. We're going to pray unified, not divided, I don't really care what stance you have about a lot of things. <laughs> as long as we know the word of God and we know God, right? So we're going to stand today unified, and we're going to declare, thank you, Ling, for leading that charge. <laughs> as we stand today, if you just want to grab the hand of the person next to you, honestly, you don't have to. If it makes you feel awkward, that's fine. But we're going to pray, and we're going to say, enemy, no more. You're done. You're done with people feeling like their only way out is mass, uh, mass shootings. You're done with people feeling unheard. You're done with making people feel hopeless and insecure and as they have no one. You're done making us feel like we have to be defensive. You're done making us feel like we have to fight back. You're done. So we're going to declare that this morning as a church. That he's done. 
And so as we pray, I just want to invite you to pray too and actually vocalize your prayer, even if it's awkward. Because look, I know for me, like sometimes I just got to vocalize, even if in this pain that I'm feeling, even if God's good. So we're just going to vocalize that. We're going to repent of places where we have played the enemy's strategy, because I know I have. And so we're just going to pray this morning. So God, we thank you, God, that you are still good. And God, I'm just going to be honest that it's scary at times thinking, when is the other shoe going to drop? When is it all going to fall apart? But God, today we declare that you are good. The enemy, you have no power, no control over our families, God, over this city, over this community, Lord God, over the people in the homes surrounding this church. God, you are God. So Satan, you have no more control. Satan, you are not the ruler. God is the ruler. God sits on the throne. Christ defeated you with his blood. And so today as a unified family, the unified body of Christ, we say no more. God, we ask that division would be ceased. God, that you would give us ears to hear people's stories. God, that you would give us hearts to have your heart for people. God, where we have let hatred and division and gossip and lies taunt us, Lord God, and divide us, make us angry, Lord, would you forgive us? God, we ask for a new day. God, a new day of your reign where Christians, God, behave like Christians. God, would we give, have the strength and boldness like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, the strength like Jehoshaphat, the courage to go in praising, not defending or running away, but God, praising you. Because even if you're still good. So Lord, wherever we find ourselves today, God, wherever that pain is, God, whatever we are in the midst of, give us courage, God. Give us insight to you, to your strategies, your ways, your playbook, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you. God, we hand it back over to you, God. We put on our armor. God, we want to be a righteous people, a people who know your word, who are disciples of you, of your heart and your ways. And God, we give the battle back over to you. As silly as that sounds, God, it's your battle. So would you fight for us? God, would you fight for your people who are still lost? And God, would you help us to go back in for them? So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.